Young man went to his girlfriend one day and said, baby, I climbed the highest mountain for you. I swim the deepest river for you. I'll walk the driest, hottest desert for you, baby. But I can't come over tonight because it's raining. Well, it's hard to put our money, our actions, or even our life where we put our mouth sometimes. So how far are you willing to go when God asks something from you? When you love, you don't just give the minimum. Because love goes above and beyond. Amen? Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. When it comes to being a part of God's kingdom, is there a limit to what you're willing to pay? Charles Tapp continues to examine the evidence, whether the church lives up to the claims it's made about itself. In his series, The Church on Trial, with part three, The Cost of the Kingdom. Today we begin this series, part three, with a very familiar story that is found in Luke chapter 18. It is the story of the rich young ruler. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this story. You probably heard about it from the time you were a child, when you were coming to church and all the stories that were told. But this story of the rich young ruler is one of the stories that has been taken out of context by so many. And I believe that is simply the result of the fact that we don't look at the story in its full context. We don't look at it in the full context of Luke chapter 18 and all the things that preceded that story in Luke chapter 18 verses 1 to 18. So let's just pause today and let's take a look at some of those stories because in Luke chapter 18, Jesus highlights four qualities that God requires of anyone who has decided to be a member of the kingdom of God qualities that not only epitomize what the church is supposed to be like here on earth, but these are also four qualities that give us insight to the heart and the mind of God. The first story comes in the form of a parable. It is the parable of the importunate or persistent widow. This is the story where the widow who has been wronged, she has been offended, and Jesus says she goes to not just any kind of judge, but she goes to an unjust judge to seek justice. As my mother used to say, she's caught between a rock and a very hard place. How can you go to an unjust judge for justice? But that's exactly what she does. But this judge, after her repeated attempts to to find justice, finally gives her the justice that she's been looking for, but not for the reason that you and I would think. And he even says in his own words, he says, listen, I have no regard for God. I have no regard for man, but I am doing this because this woman has gotten on my last nerves. She was persistent in trying to get her point across. So the first quality that Jesus wants us to understand as kingdom people that all of us need to have is this thing called determination. If we're going to be members of the kingdom of God, we've got to be determined and we've got to be persistent. The next story that Jesus gives, it's also a parable, 
And this second story is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, where Jesus says one day both the Pharisee and the tax collector went to the temple at the same time to pray. Now, the Pharisee, when he arrived, the Bible says that he began to brag to himself and to those who were nearby how good he was because he returned tithe, because he prayed, and because he fasted. But on the other hand, the tax collector, he felt out of place. He felt that he didn't deserve to be there. And at the end of the day, Jesus says, the man who left the temple justified that day was not the religious man, the Pharisee, but it was the tax collector because he had a sense of humility. He had this quality that all of us need to have as members of the kingdom of God, and that is this. We need to understand that we are undeserving. Amen? The third account that Jesus gives here is when many parents were trying to bring their children to Jesus so that he would lay hands on them and bless them. And he responded to them this way, let these children come for if such is the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus is not saying that the kingdom of God is only for children, but in essence, Jesus was simply saying the kingdom of God is for those individuals who possess the quality of childlikeness, not childish, meaning immature or juvenile, but childlike, meaning having the quality to be able to trust and to take someone at his or her own word. And that's what I love about children. If you tell them something, most of the time, they will believe it. But then we get down to the story, the account of the rich young ruler. So let's just go there this morning. Luke chapter 18 as we take a look at verses 18 to verse 21. Look at what the Word of God says. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. Honor your father and your mother. I just thought that bear repeating this morning. <laughs> Verse 21, all these I have kept since I was what? A boy, he said. Now, when you look at the summation of this story in all the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it tells us the collective insight that is given here. For Mark is the one who says that he was rich. Matthew says he was young, and here in Luke chapter 18, we are told that he is a ruler. And if you read it in Mark's account, the Bible says that Jesus was about to leave and go on his way, but before he could leave, this young man ran up to him, fell on his knees, and said, good teacher, rabbi, what must I do so that I could have this thing called eternal life? And we know by that question that he wasn't a Sadducee because Sadducees didn't believe in eternal life. Sadducees didn't believe in life after death. And I don't know what affiliation, religious affiliation he was a part of, but this one thing I do know. This young man had a sincere desire to know the truth. Amen? You know, I believe that that's a quality that is lost in our culture today. 
those who want and have a sincere desire to know the will of God for their lives. And I tell my students at the university all the time, listen, those people who know and understand God's will for their lives are the happiest people you will ever find on the face of the earth. Who believes that today? It has nothing to do with how much money that you're getting paid or the prestige your job may have. If you know that what you are doing is what God has for you, there is nothing better than that. There's nothing more fulfilling than that. And all God's people said, amen. But before Jesus would even address this young man's question, He first responds to the manner in which he himself was addressed. Good master, teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, listen, why are you calling me good? No one in those times would ever call a person good. That was a term that was reserved for God and God alone. And here's the thing we've got to understand about goodness, our goodness as it relates to God's goodness. God is good not because of what he does, but because of who he is. You see, God's goodness is tied up into his essence, to his nature. You and I, we call ourselves good based on what we do. You see, if we truly followed our natures, we wouldn't do good. But God, because his nature is good, can't do anything else but good. If he chose to do evil, he would have to go outside of his nature to do it. So whatever God allows to come into your life or to my life, it is for our good. Whichever the case, Jesus doesn't linger on the point here. So neither will we. But he simply proceeds to tell this young man, have you kept these commandments? And I think it's interesting that the commandments that Jesus listed were all found in the second half of the Ten Commandments, all based on how man is to treat one another. He says, you have heard it said, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't kill, honor your father and your mother. And he said, listen, this, I have done all this since I was a little boy. Let's pick up the story back in Luke 18 and verses 22 and 23. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, listen, I know you've kept all these commandments, but you're still deficient in one thing. Sell everything you have and give to what? The poor. And you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. When he heard this, talking about this rich young ruler, the Bible says he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Now, here is the verse that has caused and continues to cause many people to be confused because some think here that you can't love God and have money at the same time. And that's just simply not the case. The poor, listen to me, the poor don't have a monopoly on God. You can love God and still have money. Some of you may be like me. You're going to have to love God and not have money. Amen, church? 
poor don't have a monopoly on the love of God. But in essence, he was simply trying to tell him, listen, when it comes to your love for God, you've got to decide which one you love more. You see, some confuse what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10 when he says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But listen, Paul wasn't telling Timothy that money is evil. How many of you know money is not evil? You think money's evil? Well, uh, can I have yours? <laughs> Listen, he's not even saying, don't miss this, he's not even saying that loving money is wrong. Where are you going with this, Pastor? I was always taught that loving money is wrong. Loving money is not wrong. It's only when your love for money is ahead of your love for God. I love money. Money can do a lot of good. That's what builds the kingdom of God. So money is not evil. His issue was not the fact that he was wealthy. Here was the issue is that he placed his money ahead of God. And Jesus was simply trying to let him know, if you want to be part of my kingdom, whether it's money or whatever your challenge or issue is, if you love that more than you love me and my will for your life, you cannot be part of the kingdom. Not that I don't want you to be a part of the kingdom, but you have exempted yourself from being a part of the kingdom of God. Look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 14. In verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate what? Father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person, what? Cannot be my disciples. Come on, Jesus, that's a little strong. But here's the thing, that word hate doesn't mean despise. It means you've got to love less. So in other words, Jesus was saying, when it comes to me and your relationship with me, you've got to love all of your family, all of your things less. They have to be number two. I have to be number one if you're going to be part of the kingdom of God. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and part three of The Church on Trial, The Cost of the Kingdom. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. Man, when I think about WGTS, I think about family. And uh, WGTS lifts me up. The whole crew has truly been a blessing in my life. And um, I'm forever grateful for WGTS and what they do for myself and for the community. support makes a difference. I always uh, encourage people, like you want to listen to something to be encouraged when you're going through a tough time, starting 91.9, they'll definitely uplift the spirits. And uh, especially in the trying time we're in right now in society. Working together to impact the nation's capital. And I am forever grateful for for the WGPS family because that's exactly what it is, family. And we get to be a part of that as listeners, which is is amazing. Listener funded. WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. At 88.3 on the Eastern Shore. This is Simple Truths for Life. And is there a limit to what you're willing to pay to be a part of God's kingdom? And how far are you willing to go when God asks something of you? 
Well, let's return to the rest of Charles Tapp's message. The cost of the kingdom. You've got to love all of your family, all of your things less. They have to be number two. I have to be number one if you're going to be part of the kingdom of God. And that's why the very first commandment in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1 says, you shall have what? No other gods before me. God doesn't mind you and I possessing material wealth or having material gain. His only issue is if we allow that thing or that person to take the place of him in our lives. And here's the thing. You may never know what that thing is until you have been asked to give it away. Sometimes it's not something that you can hold in your hand. Young people, sometimes it's a dream that you have in your heart. And God says, if you love me, I'm going to ask you to give up your dream. Some of you know that I was studying to be an electrician when I was in high school. I had about four more months to complete my studies to actually get my certificate and work for my journeyman's license. And I was, you know, I had my plans to be an electrical engineer, making a great deal more money. But then the call of God came into my life. Listen, young people, don't run when God is calling you. He called me to the gospel ministry, and I turned my back on my dream because Jesus said to me, one thing you lack, go and sell your dream and then come and follow me. And I sold my dream, and I'm so glad I did. Because whatever I would have built being an electrical engineer would ultimately be destroyed, but anything I help build in the kingdom of God will last forever. You don't know what that thing is that God sees in your life as being the thing that is above him until you are asked to give it up. It may, listen, it may not even be a thing. It may be a person. And God says, if you really want to be part of my kingdom, give it up. Sometimes it may be money. But you know what Jesus said about money in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6? He says, you can't love God and money because you're going to hate one and love the other. Don't miss this. Jesus isn't saying that you're going to despise one and love the other. That word hate again means to love less. In other words, he's saying you can love both, but one you're going to love less than the other. And when it comes to me, I don't take less. I'm not in competition with anything or anyone in your life. Jesus is simply saying, I want all of your heart. Now, some may feel that this is extreme. You know, Jesus asking this young man to, to sell everything that he had worked so hard for and then to give it to the poor. But if you read this account in Mark's gospel, it says that before Jesus asked him to give up everything, the Bible says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Before Jesus said, sell all, Mark says that when Jesus looked at him, you could tell that what Jesus was about to tell.
tell him was motivated by his love for him. But loving is doing what's best. So when Jesus asked this young man to sell everything that he had and give the proceeds to the poor, he was doing what was in that young man's best or eternal interest. Why? Because Jesus knew that ultimately this young man's wealth, his possessions, would keep him out of the kingdom of God. And here's the trick with money that we've got to understand. When you have a great deal of money, you have more than money. Because with money comes power. With money comes what? A place in society. Influence. All this comes along with money. So when Jesus said to this young man, sell everything you've worked for, give the proceeds to the poor, he wasn't just losing money. He was losing his place in the community as a ruler. He was losing his power. He was losing his influence. And he said, this is just a little too much for me to handle. But here's my take on this whole scenario. You don't have to agree with me. You know, I, we'll still love one another. Amen? Here's the thing. I don't really believe that Jesus ever intended for him to sell all and give the proceeds to the poor. But then why did he do it? I believe he wanted to reveal to this young man the condition of his own heart. And I've got biblical precedence for that. Because in Genesis chapter 22, you all know the story. When God told Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. You know that story? The son of promise. When he went up to the mountain, he had the knife in his hand and he was about to sacrifice Isaac. The Bible says that a voice came from heaven and told him, you don't need to go through with this. Listen, God didn't tell Abraham to do that because God wanted to see where Abraham's heart was. He knew where Abraham's heart was. He wanted Abraham to know where Abraham's heart was. You see, God is not asking you, he's not asking me to get rid of certain things in our lives because he wants to know where our hearts are. He knows where our hearts are. He wants us to know where we are. You see, when you've got obedience without relationship, without love for God, then all you have is legalism. But when you have obedience as a byproduct of your love relationship with God, it's not legalism at that point. You know what it is? It's called commitment. And that's what Jesus was asking this young man to do, to commit. Because as you and I know oh so well, listen, there are some things we will only do for love's sake. Not because it's logical, not because it may be the right thing to do, not because it may be the expedient thing to do. There are some things in life you and I will only do for love. Because love gives all. And that's what he was asking for. Look at this quotation by Bob Sorge. He's a, he's, he's a pastor. He's, a, he's an author. He's a, a worship leader. 
He tells the story of how he lost his voice, and it's, it's barely here even now, that when he speaks, he can only talk for an hour without completely losing his voice. And whenever he speaks, his voice, the highest level it can ever reach is something like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. But look at what he says. He says, radical obedience does not seek to comply with the minimal standards, but pursues extravagant, lavish fulfillment. So if Jesus says, sell all, then we sell all immediately because love goes above and beyond. Amen? When you and I return our tithes and offerings, I know God said a tenth and an offering, but that doesn't mean that's where we have to stop. That's the minimal standard. If we truly, truly love God, there'll be times we'll want to give even more because of our love for God, because love doesn't just call for the minimum. And when you put this story of the rich young ruler in context with the other stories, the story where we learn the lesson of determination, humility, and trusting God as a child trusts, then we understand the true context of this story. Jesus is telling us today that you're not going to be able to sell all unless you become determined, unless you understand you are undeserving, and unless you understand as a child that you've got to trust me no matter what. And that's all he was asking this young man to do. Listen, sell your stuff. In other words, trust me. When you decide, when I decide, to become a disciple, there are things we're going to have to lose. Sometimes we're going to have to lose friends. Sometimes it may even mean losing or changing jobs. Other times we may lose our standing in the community, while other times it may even impact our personal spending or our personal economy. But whatever we lose in losing, we truly gain if we truly trust God. But also in this story, when this young man walked away, sadly, with his head down because he realized he wasn't willing to give all, many question and wonder why Jesus did not run after him. I think Jesus didn't run after him because Jesus only wants those in the kingdom that really love him. You see, when you're forced to do something, Especially when you're forced to love somebody, that's not really love. And here's the other thing. I don't care how hard you try, you can't make somebody love you who doesn't want to love you. You can't make someone love you who doesn't want to love you. All you can do is to present yourself as one to be loved. But if they don't want to love you, leave them alone. And that's what Jesus, in not running after this young man, was saying. You know, I'm not going to force you to love me. When he told this young man to sell his riches, you know, Jews in that day day thought riches were blessing. They thought it was part of your righteousness. 
So in other words, he was saying, go sell your righteousness like I gave up my righteousness so that you could have it. Give it to the poor. Give it to those that didn't work for it, can't work for it. Give it to those who society looks at as undeserving. And by the way, that's me and that's you. In this story, Jesus is giving us the picture of salvation. Christ giving us his righteousness, which we cannot work for, which we're undeserving of, and he gave it to us so that we could have eternal life. And he did it, not because it was the right thing to do, not because it was the logical thing to do, not even because it was the expedient thing to do, but he did it because he loves us. And Jesus says, if you want to be part of the kingdom, the cost I'm going to ask you to pay is to love me back. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and part three of The Church on Trial, The Cost of the Kingdom. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. So if we're going to be the salt of the earth, we can't do that with spending all of our time with each other. We've got to go into the world wherever your world is. The church is supposed to be the salt and light of the world. And next week, Charles Tapp asks some honest questions about whether we're adding flavor or contaminating the world around us in part four of The Church on Trial with his message, Good for Nothing. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.